Chip, as we get into the Word of God, we'll have uh, the Word of God, and then after this we'll have some uh, fellowship in the high school room. But tonight I wanted to talk to you. Uh, tonight's message is born-again marriage in this current cultural, cultural crisis. And um, as we think about all that is going on, you know, in this world and all that is, you know, uh, that is happening with the woke culture and just everything all around us, we see how everything's gone uh, from bad to worse. And as the institution of marriage uh, continues to implode in the West, there seems to be a uh, growing uh, anticipation of adversity uh, about the social effects it's going to leave behind. It's leaving behind. You know, while us biblical Christians continue to advocate for the good of marriage by pointing to the uh, central role it has played throughout human history in creating healthy and just societies, uh, the progressive socialist uh, leftists are searching for that utopian, healthy, uh, and just society by imagining other options to marriage. And sadly, since, you know, 1960, when the divorce rate exploded, uh, the divorce culture of America has produced now three generations, three generations of the costly effects of the breakdown of marriage with the psychotic personality disorders of, you may have heard these terms, expressive individualism. You know, that's those people who live their lives according to their immediate desires without regard and uh, anonatalism, the belief that it is morally wrong or unjustifiable uh, for people to have children. And then there's narcissism, excessive love and care for oneself through the expense of human relationships. And how many of us have experience the costly effects of divorce as our own parents, grandparents, siblings, or children have gone through divorce and we've had to cope with the challenges presented by it. The Bible teaches that the husband and wife relationship is unique among human relationships. No other human relationship is described as two becoming one. As it says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. No other human relationship is given the divine blessing for the fulfillment of our God-given sexuality. You could read the entire book of Song of Solomon, and you can uh, read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, where it says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. We covered that topic of God-given sexuality on uh, June 24th this year, it was titled, Obligated to One Another. So for a biblical understanding, if you have any questions uh, regarding 
you know, human sexuality, biblical sexuality. Uh, I advise you to look back in the the, the uh, records of our series and, and go to June 24th and you'll find it there. Where Carmel and I were up here together, we gave a husband and wife's biblical uh, uh, teaching on that topic. And then again, no other human relationship is given God's blessing for procreation in order to propagate the human race. You know, because of this, no other human relationship <clears throat> is as necessary for the continuation uh, and flourishing of the human race than marriage. No, no other relationship. So whenever you're asked the question of why born-again believers have such a high view of marriage, answer with, because Jesus does. Jesus said of Genesis 2.24, in Matthew 19.16, he said, So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. And he added with emphasis, Therefore what God has joined together... Let not man separate. You know, think about this. The Bible begins and ends with a marriage. Adam and Eve in the garden, at the beginning of all things, typifying the marriage of Christ and his church at the end of all things. But this current cultural crisis that we're in of the sexual revolution that started in the 60s continues to launch missiles, launch throw grenades at, that are aimed at holy matrimony that is instituted by God where he commanded two people, one man and one woman, to become joined together and become one. The sexual uh, liberty uh, revolution of the 60s unleashed a host of demons that still haunt the institution of marriage today. We live in a society possessed by these spirits that have, and that has no need for marriage. Instead, marriage becomes a burden to be avoided or replaced altogether. So, you know, being married, I get it, you know, being married isn't easy peasy, lemon squeezy, you know, it really isn't. After the fall of man in Genesis 3, the curse of sin entered for husband and wife. And that's where all the problems begin. Even to this day, continues. For him, he will have a woman desiring to uh, usurp his role as head. And all the days of his life, he will be discomforted, annoyed, and wounded by his painful labor. You know, that's where the curse came in, where he was told that not everything that you plant will be productive. You will also, with those things that you, with the seed that you plant, thorns and thistles will grow up among them. And I don't know about you, I, I, I know that feeling, you know, men, we know that feeling of working hard every day and, and you're working and you're thinking you're going to take your family on a vacation or you're thinking you're going to do this. You're putting money away, you're, you're laboring, you want to enjoy the fruit of the labor. And all of a sudden, uh, if you live in a house like me, your wife says, do you smell that? I'm like, no. She goes, I smell mold. 
I'm like, what are you talking about? Just go over there. And I'm like, I don't smell it. And I wasn't lying. Just smell it. And I said, I can't smell it. I can't. What are you talking about? She says, well, go under the house. So I go under the house and I had a lake. I had a lake under my house. I busted a uh, sewer pipe. Oh, not a sewer pipe. A uh, Well, yeah, it was a sewer pipe. Not the main sewer, but from the washing machine all the way across to the main. And so every time we did the wash or we used the sink, water was just pouring onto the ground. That takes up my time. That takes up my money. And there was, you know, I'm just so annoyed because I don't get to enjoy the fruit of my labor. Or those times where, you know, you, you work and you work hard and it's just the suffering that comes with it. But for her, her curse is she will have excruciating pain in giving birth to their children. And she will desire to control her husband yet knowing that she is ruled by him, commanded by Scripture. Now, I know if you've gone to university, I always say this, if you've gone to university, university that gets under your skin, and it irks you, that the roles in the home is the man is the head of the home and the wife is his helpmate. I know a lot of people cannot accept that, but that's God's ordination of things. So James, and in, in, in saying that, you know, it cracks me up because I was reading and I came, I was reading my Bible and then I was reading just after I had written this down. James uh, in uh, chapter four, verse one in the NIV, I like it. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So husbands and wives that are at each other. They're at each other and they're quarreling and there's just that conflict. You know, it's part of the curse. She wants to rule over him and it's frustrating for her. But all, all, all married couples, oh, excuse me, Paul informs and warns the goo-goo-eyed engaged to be married. He warns them. It never ends. You know, he, he warns them. And it's not, well, first of all, he warns them, it's not a sin to marry. But he says, but such will have trouble in the flesh. Like I just described about, you know, trying to do things and natural disasters in the home happen and all these other troubles in the flesh that you'll have. He's not talking about fleshly desires, lust and stuff like that. He's talking about the natural things that happen in a married couple, in, in life. But, you know, all married couples reach a point of contention at moments. It never ends, but for the unbeliever, the levels of contention increase to the point of searching for something or someone else because they have no understanding of their sin nature. They increasingly fight and quarrel because they are unaware of the curse in Genesis 3, as believers are. And they battle and the battle within them is not with the other, but with themselves. And they don't even know it. So as the born-again couple is so aware that the flesh is always at war with the spirit inside of them. As First Peter says, to abstain from all fleshly lusts. Peter, Peter admonishes us to abstain from all fleshly lusts, which wars against the soul. And that's why, 
as born-again marriages, as born-again believers, that's why society marvels at marriages that last. You say your long number of years you've been married, and you'll usually hear something like, wow, that's unheard of. Like, wow, 30 years, 35 years, 40 years? Like, wow, that's unheard of. You'll usually hear that. So let's look at our text. Our text is John chapter 3, verse 7. And in John chapter 3, verse 7, you know, you know the story around it. You know, you must be born again when Nicodemus comes at night and Jesus instructs him. And, but he, in verse uh, 7, he tells them, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Marvel. Jesus said, do not marvel. The word marvel in this text means to have wonder. A feeling, to have the feeling of wonder. To be filled with an astonishment, especially at a clause or a phrase like, you must be born again. That makes you very curious as to stop and think and say, how can this be? What do you mean you must be born again? So Jesus told Nicodemus, don't marvel at this. And then even a moment of marvel was when in Matthew chapter 19, verses, verse 10, remember when uh, Jesus told them in verse 7 that, uh, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. And then it continues on. But in verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. That's another form. They're marveling like, well, wait a minute. How can we never separate? Like, you just took away all my, you just took away all my uh, outs. You took away all my, uh, what are those cards? Uh, the cards uh, I was having in the hole that I had in my pocket in case she ever does this. I could pull this card out. Jesus took them all away. And they marveled at that, that marriage is for a lifetime commitment. Okay, so let's not forget who uh, Nicodemus was. He was a religious leader, a Pharisee, an educated man, and probably a noble man of good reputation and character. So by all outward appearances, he looked already transformed by God. Yet, he, we know that he was not. Because in John, the previous verses in the same chapter, verses 2 and 4, it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Again, that, that's his statement of, of marveling there. So the education of Nicodemus informed him that Jesus is Emmanuel. When he says right there, you're a teacher from God and God is with him, he said. That no one can do the things you do unless God is with him. So the education of Nicodemus informed him that this is Emmanuel. In the same manner, your relatives and friends, they study 
your marriage. They study your marriage and they marvel and will say something like, we know you're blessed by God because no one can go through what you've been through and still have joy in your marriage. No one can, that's unheard of. No one can do that. It's difficult, you know. Born again marriages, people, couples that are born again, you know, we're not exempt of the heavy issues of life. We're not exempt, you know, like the world is. We're, you know, um, whoever wrote that book, uh, uh, Live Your Best Life Now, um, I don't know what they're talking about because that's not what my Bible tells me. Expect tribulation, expect trials. Or, you know, I remember when I first got saved, uh, I seriously, um, man, things were like going good. I, things were going good. I was like, Jesus had a wonderful plan for my life. Everything was going good, great in my life for like a good solid five years. So that was the message I was telling everybody. Hey, come to Jesus because he has, a, you know, your, your life will work out great. You know, man, you know, your wife will come back. You'll get a new job. You'll get a raise. And, you know, I wasn't saying it exactly like that, but I was just sharing what happened to me. And I thought that's what Christianity was all about. But then I experienced the trials and the tribulations that come, you know, some five years later. I I always say five years because it seemed about that long that just blessing after blessing after blessing. But the greatest blessing of all is that he has kept me through it all. You know, since May 24th, 1983. You know, again, you know, we have all these issues of life that everyone else does. We have children who die, who die before us, you know. We have children that go astray. We have financial difficulties, you know. I could go on, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in my experience through the years, these issues have wrecked or wreaked havoc on marriages and even destroy some to the point of no return. You know, I've I've seen um, this one couple. They're married for quite a long time. They lost a child, and you know, I guess the heavy drinking, the sadness, the sorrow. You know, without Christ in their lives, it just after a while, it just the wife couldn't take it anymore, and they ended up divorcing. You know, but these people, you know, these these people that are not saved and they're watching you, they're studying you, they're looking at you. How can you experience the same thing that they experience, but yet still have that joy, still have that glow, still, you know, look up instead of having your eyes cast down, you know, because... They want what you have. You know, they want what you have. A relationship with the Father through the Son. And again, Nicodemus, he did marvel at the statement because he, like most all Jews of his time, believed they already had the inner transformation. Like most people think, they are morally good people. But Jesus wants Nicodemus and any other morally good person who's, you know, self-righteous, to take hold of the fact, take hold of the fact that no one can see the kingdom of God by their own merit. Only that one must be born again. So, 
Why? Why must we? Why must your marriage be born again? And we're talking about born again marriage is the title, born again marriage. But I'm using the text, you know, uh, John chapter three. Why must your marriage be born again? If you uh, can, you turn to Ephesians, Ephesians uh, chapter two, verses one through three. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of, the, of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So, why must your marriage be born again? Why? Reason number one, because your marriage is dead, and by nature we are children of wrath. Dead implies lifeless. Does your marriage have the same life as at first when you couldn't last a minute apart? Is your marriage still like that? You know? You know, it's not that your marriage is physically or, or morally lifeless, but that your marriage is spiritually lifeless. You know, again, you could be a morally good person. You could pay your taxes on time. You can give to the poor. You can, you know, feed the homeless. You can... Uh, Stop at every uh, stop at every stop sign without doing a California rolling stop. You can not run yellow lights. You can do everything and be a morally good person. But that it doesn't matter. You're still spiritually lifeless. Because your offenses and sins reign over your marriage as you walk after the way of the world. By following the prince of the power of the air, like all the other disobedient. So, you know, your, and, or your understanding of the truth is wrong when you say everyone else is doing it, so it must be okay. Reminds me of the time Carmel and I were on vacation, and, you know, of all times, how many men know that when you get married, you get a driver's helper? You get a driver's helper. Of all times I needed my driver's helper, she didn't work. We were on vacation and I was kind of like, you know, we were in a big city and I was like never been in the city like that, you know. And I was looking at the traffic, I'm driving and Carmel's all, can you go? I said, I don't know, what's going? I'm like, I don't know. So I'm looking, I'm looking. The light was red. I didn't see a red arrow. So I said, oh, well. But I saw other cars turning on the red. So I was like, all right. So then I turned on the red. And it wasn't a siren. It was a, a cop in a booth pointed at me. I'm like, he pulled me over. And he goes, what are you doing, sir? Don't you know? And I said, well, everyone else was doing it. Let me see your license. And he takes my license. And he looks at it. And well, he was a New Yorker. So yeah, we were in New York City. Yeah, you Californians. He goes, 
take, you know, he gave me a warning, but it was like, you know, I, I, I did that because I'm I, serious. Everyone else was making right turns. So I was like, all right. I made a right turn. I got popped, you know. Uh, you know, Paul describes the non-born-again nature as children of wrath. You know, that's because, you know, think about it. Before you were saved, well, I know before I was saved, I was so selfish, rebellious, and stubborn toward God that His holy anger was a natural and righteous response towards me. That's why were considered I was considered a child of children of wrath. And if you're unsaved today, you're not born again, you're a child of wrath. You are of the children of wrath. It's because you're rebellious, you're stubborn towards the things of God. You, know, you should harden I mean your heart is hardened, but you should soften your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to work outside of you and teach you things because that's God calling you to the Son. Because Jesus said that no one, no one can come to the Son unless the Father brings him or calls him. So if you feel that tugging, if you feel it, follow it, respond to it. When my wife says, you know, when my wife says she's uh, at fault, I say, amen, sister, you sure are. But nothing changes. Our marriage doesn't grow. But if I examine myself by the word of God, I find that I'm the problem. It's not because of what I do. It's because of what I am. Her not wanting to go out for dinner is not my main problem. You know, my selfish, self-centered and demanding nature is my main problem. But you can't know that. You cannot know that and abstain from your natural desires which war against your soul if you're not in a born-again relationship. You'll continue to bicker. You'll continue to have that contention. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother, uh, my mother conceived me. King David repents when Nathan the prophet confronts him after David has gone into uh, Bathsheba. And that should be our first response. Our first response should always be a broken and a contrite heart. So reason number two why you, need, you must be born again, you need to be born again, is because you'd rather conduct your marriage in the dark than in the light because you think God can't see in the dark. And this is the condemnation in, uh, as we continue with chapter 3 of um, Ephesians. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter, uh, what was it, 4? Yeah. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So reason number three. Reason number three why uh, your marriage must be born again. 
Because your hearts are hard like stone. And you can find that in Ezekiel 36, 26, and Ephesians 4, 18. When you combine the NIV translations of Ezekiel 36, 26, and Ephesians 4, 18, it reads like this. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And they are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So it shows us that, you know, our understanding of marriage, or your understanding, if you're not born again, your understanding of marriage is darkened and alienates you from God because of your guilty ignorance. Paul is saying your ignorance is not an innocent ignorance, but a guilty ignorance due to your hard and resistant heart towards God. Paul also says in Romans 1, 8, uh, 1.18 and 19, he says that people by their wickedness suppress the truth of all that God has made known plainly to all people. You know, Romans 18, or Romans 1.18, verse 19 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Reason number four, because your mind is in the flesh and not the spirit. That's Romans 8, 7, uh, 7 and through 9. And it reads like this, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. <clears throat> so then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is literally saying here that because your mind is naturally hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it ever do so. Therefore, the naturally hostile mind towards God can never please God. But then Paul makes a contrast between the born again who have the spirit dwelling in them and those who are not born again who can only have the carnal, fleshly, natural mind. Verse 9 he says of Romans chapter 8, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So, that was just four reasons why we must be born again. The list is much greater. And we need to see the contrast that Paul was making in verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. How does being born again affect your marriage? Most, most people, most people they, uh, they understand that the important things in life are not things at all. They are the relationships that we have. You know? They, they realize that they understand that. And some, it's not until the passing of someone or... Or, you know, remember when you were a teenager, your first 
boyfriend or girlfriend and, you know, they broke up with you and you felt the pain of, oh my goodness, you know, being brokenhearted like that. You felt like you, that was the only relationship you could ever have, <laughs> you know. Um, a lot of times, people, they don't understand the importance things in life. So God has put a desire, but you know, that's the beauty of God. He has put a desire for a relationship in every one of us, you know. I mean, I desire my wife to be with my wife so much, and she desires to be with me so much. We desire to spend our time together, to have that relationship, to improve on our relationship. You know, and that's what being born again does. It just, you know, you you just desire to be with one another. You desire to make each other uh, happy. Okay? Happy. Only God can bring you joy. But, you know, I can give Carmel some joy. She can give me some joy. Well, not the kind of joy that God can sustain us in, you know, but we make each other happy. Matter of fact, you look at my Silverado, my old 2002 clunker. I have an old faded, uh, what are those things called? Bumper sticker. I have an old faded bumper sticker on my uh, on my bumper that says, Carmel makes me happy. And I got that when we went to on a little, was it our anniversary, I think, on a, well, Carmel's birthday. Took my wife, because her name is Carmel, took her the first time ever in both our lives to Carmel, California, and should have seen her. She was like a six-year-old in a candy store because everything said, Carmel this, Carmel that, Carmel, 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 Carmel. All the streets, all the signs, all the bumper stickers, all the coffee mugs, <clears throat> you know. And um, so I saw the sticker that said, Carmel makes me happy. And there was another one that says, I love Carmel. I, I put that on something else. Oh, that's the one I have on my truck. Carmel makes me happy is on my study desk. That's what it is. I got it wrong. See, God also gives you a speech helper when you get married. You know, so... God, like I said, God has put a desire for relationship in every one of us. You know, I, I, I look at my lovely friends right there and, and soon to be married and, and desire to have that, that oneness, that grow together, joined as one, you know. And, and it's like, it's a desire that God put there. It's a desire. And even the world, if you're unsaved, you're in the world... And you're struggling with relationships. You know, God, first of all, is the one that put that desire to have relationships. Just submit yourself to God. You know, resist the devil. Temptation will flee. God will bring you the right person. You know, he gave us a desire. He intended it to be met with relationships with other people. But most of all, to be met by a relationship with Him. That's where it all begins. Relationship with Him. You know, people ask me, like I was saying earlier, when they say, uh, well, how many, you tell someone how many years you've been married, and they say, oh, wow, that's unheard of. How would you do it? I says, well, I didn't do it. I said, it's God. And the reason God did it is because my wife loves God 
more than she loves me. And I love God more than I love my wife. So the relationship begins with God, and that draws us closer together. He has this magnificent way of two people that love him to draw so close. I mean, two people, and he draws them like that. I mean, I, ah, there you go. So close like that, wrapped around each other. So, you know, in the Apostle John's first letter, John tells us the truth about relationships and shows us how to have relationships that are real for both now and eternity. <clears throat> in John chapter 4, you know, a love for God and one another. So, you know, the effects of being born again, one of the effects is God's love for you results in you loving others. As John says in uh, verses 7 of 8, verses 7 8 of chapter 4, First uh, John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, <clears throat> and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So, first of all, he says love is of God, and God is love. In the same way, you know, he's saying, what he's saying here is, love is of God, and God is love. It's the same way that fire gives heat, because it is heat. God's nature is love. And when you become born again, that nature becomes part of who you are. You know, that's how Carmel is able to love me so hard and so enduring is because God's nature of love, when she became born again, was imparted to her from God, by God, and dwelling within her. So no matter how many times, I don't do it on purpose, but no matter how many times I frustrate her and and, and cause her to uh, scratch her fingernails on the chalkboard, she loves me dearly. She loves me, loves me dearly, dearly. And I feel the same about her. But that's because God, when you become born again, God imparts his love into you. The effect number two of being a, in a born again and a born again marriage Effect number two, our motivation for loving uh, one another comes from knowing the love that God has for us. As we continue with John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9, it says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Think of what John is saying here. God sent his son to be the sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. How can we not be motivated to love one another with that knowledge? I mean, how can you not be motivated to love your spouse when he or she is behaving like a little rascal when you think about what God did for you, how he displayed his love for you. Effect number three, knowing the invisible God humbles us to love him and one another. 
Verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfect in us. So no one has ever seen God at any time. So knowing the invisible God humbles us to love him and one another. The fourth effect, being born again causes God's spirit to live in us and us to live our lives in him. That's verses 13 through 16. By this we know that we are, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides in him and he in us. So again, being born again causes God's spirit to live in us and us to live our lives in him. The next effect is your love is perfected and therefore, I'm sorry, it's perfected and there's no fear in loving one another. We'll conclude this chapter with Uh, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You know, there's a myth out there that we born again, you know, we who are born again are supposed to be flawlessly perfect. You know, that's a condemnable lie from the father of all lies, the devil himself. The word of God says, you know, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according uh, to the spirit. So why would Paul say that without knowing and expressing to us that we do fall? All have fallen short of the glory of God. But once you're in God, there's no condemnation. You know, your sins are forgiven. Once you become born again, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But not that you practice sinning, but that you stumble. So I have a question. How do we address allegations, those allegations of hypocrisy? The answer, being born again is the supernatural creation of the spiritual life. Because you are still you... I am still me, but new. You know, again, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Being born again is not like a corpse that gets, you know, makeup put on it by the, mortor- by the mortician to look like they are alive. Being born again is the creation of spiritual life. Not the imitation of life. What happens to your marriage when you become born again is not the improvement of your old human nature of marriage, but the creation of a new human nature of marriage. A new nature that is, that is really still you, 
but forgiven and cleansed and a nature that is really new being formed in you by the indwelling spirit of God you know and that happens daily that happens weekly that happens monthly like I said since May 24th 1983 when Carmel and I walked into a crowded apartment building with about 40 people packed like sardines hearing the word of God we responded to the message we got saved that night power of God started working within us um, yes we struggled yes we've hit bumps along the road but we've been transformed and I know many of you have I know many of your testimonies I know many of you um, your, tes- your testimonies what God brought you out of and I've seen his keeping you his power in keeping you so we're being formed by the power of the whole indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, again, I just want to say that if, you know, you're viewing online or, you know, you're happen to come upon this and you're thinking that born again stuff, it's not for me. That's all there is for you. There is no merit-based salvation. There is none. It's like only a gift of God. You know, to be born again, um, you know, I remember not being born again. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19, as in water, face reflects face. So a man's heart reveals the man. When I wasn't saved or when you weren't saved, I could probably say you're Uh, you'll agree with me you know you your 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 heart was wicked your heart was hardened your heart you you know you leaned on the understanding of your heart and it let you into a lot of trouble it got you into messes and that's what happens when you're not born again as in water you know, you look at the water, you see your face. You know, not until you're born again can you see that that's how my heart was. Because if you're not born again, you're thinking you're all right. You're thinking your heart is fine. Oh, that's not hardened. No, the word, that's contrary to the word of God. Only a born again person can have a softened heart to pray in the manner of Psalm 119. I'm closing with this. You know, to have a prayer like this. I mean, if, you were, if you're not born again, these aren't your desires. Listen to Psalm 119 as we close, 25 through 40. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. When do you ever want to be, if you're not born again, when do you ever want to be revived by God? I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying. And grant me your law graciously. I mean, these, this is verse 39. These are not desires. 
of a hardened heart. These are the desires only comes from a person that has a regenerated heart that has been touched by the Holy Spirit, that has been forgiven and cleansed by Jesus. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments. Before you were saved, you would run away from them. Now you run to them. You run the course of your commandments. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding until I shall keep your law, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and to covetous and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Who but a born-again person? Who, what but a born-again marriage? What other marriage but a born-again marriage could long for God's precepts and want his revival in his righteousness? Father, we come to you this evening, Lord, and we thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, I pray for every couple that's here tonight or viewing online, Lord. I pray that you touch their hearts, my God, that we will come to the realization, Father, that, Lord, that we need to be born again. Lord, it's not something that I declare or the church has declared or the pastor has declared. It's what you have declared, Father, through the Son, that in order to see the kingdom of God, one must be born again. We must be born again. And I pray for the marriages that are struggling out there, Father God, that are looking for help, that are desperate, Father. They're on the thread of, they're on their last thread, Lord. And they're in such pain, Father. The husband, the wife are at war with one another. And if they have children, the children are watching and are saddened by the constant fighting, Lord, and the constant arguing, Lord. and Father, I just pray that you save those marriages, Lord. May that husband be the man, step up, repent of his sins, and receive you, Jesus, as his Lord and Savior. And may the woman, Lord, come alongside with him, Father God. May the wife come alongside him, Lord, and may they experience what it is to be born again, Father God, to have that everlasting joy, Lord, that leads to eternal life, Lord. That everlasting joy will continue in the afterlife, in your presence, Lord. So I pray for them, Lord, and I pray for us all here, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.